Amen, amen. Let's just thank the Lord for this time of worship. And it is, uh, it is so, so good to just reflect on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And I think so much of this message, we're going to be reminded of that again and again. Um, has many of you heard last week, if you were here in service, uh, you heard that uh, my wife and I got, um, uh, our flight got canceled leaving Florida, and so we were stuck there for another day. I know, I know. So much compassion. It was, it was rough. It was rough. And so, you know, I was like, I was like, I gotta, I still gotta, um, I still gotta join in online, right? So we got this online service and this is the perfect time for it. So here's a picture, just evidence, evidence. I was actually <laughs> on the service. I was not playing Candy Crush, I promise you. And, uh, and you know, one of the things I was so thankful for last week, um, just following online was, um, I just, I, Pastor Jeremy did a phenomenal job in that teaching on fasting, amen? <laughs> I just, just love, love, love um, what God has brought together around me at so many levels in our church. And, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, we were in Florida last week um, on a uh, Great Commission Collective, which is our association of churches. Uh, they do an annual senior pastor and wives retreat, and it's just a time for us to connect with other lead pastors, to be encouraged, to worship together, to uh, cast some vision for GCC and all that's happening through that organization. And... Um, well, I, coming off of that retreat, I just really felt like, and I want to give in the hands of our people just a really good picture and summary of what's happening. And so for a moment before I jump into the message, if you guys would just take a look at the sheet you got as you came in this morning. And on that sheet, it's got um, some details about uh, where some of the churches that are, make up a Great Commission Collective are. And it's got a summary of the networks that are um, beginning to emerge internationally to accelerate church planting and um, even some, some people that are going to be planting churches. And so maybe some of you in God's sovereignty have some uh, friends or family in some of those areas and could lead them to be a part of a church plant just like people were led to be a part of our church um, around eight years ago. And so I'm just really thankful for that. I, I want you guys to also know um, out of Christ Church, um, one of the things that we've been doing in the uh, past uh, a year and a half, two years, is we've been uh, coming around and rallying around and supporting a church plant in Dublin, Ireland called Hope Church. And um, last fall, um, that church, their lead pastor had to step down and um, there's a number of GCC churches in our church in Harvest and Traverse City that have been rallying around that church, supporting it, sometimes sending messages to, to have on video for that church and just watching God sustain that church. And uh, I wanna encourage you to pray for Hope Church um, as we support that uh, church out of our missions budget, and uh, at the end of February, um, I'm going to be headed to Ireland just to serve Hope Church, to connect with uh, some area pastors down there, to try to see what options might be for a man to sort of step into the role to lead that church forward, and uh, I'm so excited. My oldest daughter, Eliana, is going to be joining me on that trip, and uh, some of you know, um, wow, clapping for Eliana, of course, anytime. <laughs> And uh, some of you know that um, my wife and I have prayed and asked that if God um, would, would raise our kids up to love Jesus and they serve in the church and be active, we wanted to bring them on a, a, a sort of a mission trip to allow them to see the church in other cultures. And uh, Amy and I are sponsoring her to go with me and just really excited uh, for that time. She's going to be um, jumping in on the worship team in a variety of other ways. And so... Um, just please pray for that time coming up, and then I'll give a report when I get back. And uh, pray also 
uh, for our leadership as we want to process and hear from God on how God might be guiding that uh, for our church moving forward. And so if you ever have questions about that, please come and ask me. Um, but as I thought about that, as I, as I prepare um, just to, to move into the message now, I want to take a moment and just pray um, not only for the message, but for um, local missions and global missions that God might have for our church now and into the future. So let's pray for that. God, I'm reminded this morning and I'm deeply encouraged by the fact that I know that uh, Christ Church is not the only uh, a gospel-saturated, um, Jesus-worshiping church, even in our area. And I pray now as other churches are meeting in this area, I pray for your a faithfulness from the leadership and the people to be faithful to the Great Commission and to your word. I, I thank you, God, for the, the, the beauty of the kingdom of God that's so much bigger than our thing. And uh, God, I pray for the local missions opportunities we have through organizations that we support in our, from our church. And um, I pray for what's happening globally in your church and for a GCC and for the passion to both strengthen leaders and to plant churches. God, would you continue to accelerate that? Would you give us great uh, a vision and mission in that? I, I pray, Father, for uh, the trip coming to Ireland. I pray that you might uh, sovereignly lead. I see you already opening doors and sovereignly lead, God, to a, someone who could step into the role for Hope Church and lead that church forward. But we entrust it to you and our hands are open with that and we're just asking for you to lead, God. Lead us forward in all these things regarding missions and uh, just compel our hearts as we open your word now and consider what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 2019, um, the annual revenue for self-storage facilities was $39.5 billion. You're like, where is this going? <laughs> the industry has grown by average of 7% each year since 2012. The total number of self-storage facilities exceeds the total of Starbucks, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Pizza Hut, and Wendy's locations combined. Recent reports stated that 90% of available self-storage space is already in use. And, and here's, here's what I found. On a self-storage website, I found this really interesting commentary. You guys are like, this is what you do all week? <laughs> More than this, I promise. Watch, watch them wrestling through this subject. Self-storage is an interesting concept to think about. Humans pay to store their items to make space for more items. It can make you ask, why do we have so much stuff? Why can't we let these tangible items go, sell them or recycle them? If there's anything that the self-storage industry shows us, it's that Americans have a hard time parting ways with their belongings, really. One reason is because we often develop an emotional connection with our items. The old record player, ugly lamp from Aunt Peggy, the treasure chest from a great-grandmother. When you revisit these items, they trigger a memory that helps us recall the past. And then there's always the thought, what if I need this again in the future? <laughs> the relationships people form with their belongings can be just as complex and interesting as the ones that are formed with other humans. Ugh. Yeah, your response was my response. This is one reason why the self-storage industry has become so large and popular. That author has no ability to, to give any wisdom on, on the consumerism of our culture that drives that situation that they're profiting from. But Jesus does. And in this passage in front of us this morning, Jesus raises it front and center to address it 
through the lens of kingdom culture. Let's check it out. If you're in your Bibles, we're in a Sermon on the Mount series in our church, and we are now in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Follow along and get ready. Jesus is not going to pull any punches. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then, if then, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate or prioritize is the word there. It's less emotion, more of priority. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, what, what Jesus has been doing already in the Sermon on the Mount, for anyone who's been with us uh, for these past few weeks, is what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's systematically stripping away all sorts of motives to focus in right on our heart. And it continues in this passage. So, so write this down. This is the big move, the big idea that Jesus is painting here. It's this. It's an encouragement. It's a call. Treasure heaven, treasure eternity. Quite simply, this is what he's stripping away so that we might focus on it. Treasure heaven, treasure eternity. Get your mind and your heart and your soul fixed on eternity. Have your eyes on the long view, not on the short view. Perspective like this is everywhere in Scripture. In Ecclesiastes, the writer said that God has put eternity in the heart of man. He's literally created us with the capacity, a desire, a longing to live with eternity as our perspective. Colossians 3, set your mind on the things that are above. In this passage, Jesus is teaching you there's a value to what you treasure. So there's three words of wisdom that he gives us to Keep your heart set on heaven and eternity. Here's the first one. Write it down. The first word of wisdom. Avoid the bad investment of earthly treasures. Avoid the bad investment of earthly treasures. And he paints a really simple picture. And the conclusion is, investing in earthly treasures is a bad investment. Now, he's not talking about uh, purchasing any earthly treasure. He's just saying, do not let your heart be rooted in Do not let your heart become attached to earthly treasures. This is a warning from Jesus. When Jesus, the lover of your soul, the savior and king of your life, when he says do not, this is not the time to be like in one ear, out the other. This is a time to go, hold on, hold on, hold on, lean in. I've got to listen to this. What is Jesus telling me? First, Laying up treasures on earth is a bad investment because earthly possessions decay over time. They decay over time. That's why he's like, the moth is a picture of of cloth breaking down over time and rust breaks down metal. It's not going to survive. Like, all earthly treasures are depreciating assets. Eventually, in light of eternity, they're all depreciating assets. They're unstable, they're losing value, and you're on shaky ground, they're temporary, they're fleeting, all of them. 
in comparison to eternity, they are all fleeting. Even though you might be able to make some money on something in the next few years or a few decades, eventually they're all depreciating assets. Second, thieves break in and steal. People target you to steal what you have. Here's a key principle. If you are driven by consumption and pleasure, you will be surrounded by people who are driven by the same thing. And so, if you find yourself always trying to keep up with the person next to you, or if you always find yourself looking over your shoulder in a competitive environment driven by envy, greed, and jealousy, there's some place you're investing your life that needs to be evaluated. And the constant instability of earthly treasures is, is one of the most fundamental causes of anxiety and fear and depression. Trying to find stability in something that cannot provide it. How many of you, um, how many of you have heard the name John Piper? Raise your hand if you've heard John Piper. John Piper is a, a, a pastor and an author and um, he's been in ministry for a long time and uh, Piper's ministry and his writing has had a great influence on me, on my ministry. Um, but actually, if you know the history of John Piper, he was relatively unknown except in some specific circles previous to the year 2000. Um, on uh, May 20th, 2000, John Piper stood up at a, at a college ministry conference called One Day. It was put on by Passion Conferences. Many of you have heard the worship from Passion um, year over year over year, now decades. And he was speaking to 40,000 college students at this outdoor conference. And in this sermon, he made a comparison that, 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 that few forgot after hearing it. Let me just share it with you. He Five minutes into his message, he laid out the comparison that nobody forgot. He said to the crowd, he said, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, she was also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And he said to the crowd that day, he said, I asked my people, is this a tragedy? He said, two women in their 80s almost, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places in 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico. They fly into eternity with a death in, in a moment. Is this a tragedy? And he said, the crowd knew the answer, calling out, no, it's not a tragedy, Piper affirmed. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he pulled out a page from a Reader's Digest in the midst of the message, and he read it to them. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the crowd. And he, and he went on, he said, and there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. 
as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. Don't waste your life. And then he shared words from a poem on a wall in his home. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Investing in earthly treasures is a bad investment. It's not a gospel dream to retire early and waste your life. It's not a dream, but for those whose minds and hearts have been trained by the gospel, that's a nightmare. It will never satisfy your soul. It is not stable. You might find yourself in a place of contentment, but, but, and oftentimes that contentment is just an attempt to insulate yourself from the reality of the call of the gospel and the darkness in the world around you. People who are trained by the gospel, people who understand what Jesus Christ has done are, are not going to go that way because they know it's the opposite of the call of discipleship. The mission of the church is to expand and to multiply, to extend the gospel to the lost world. To accomplish this mission, the Bible calls us to train for godliness and live for Christ in his eternal kingdom with every breath we have. We're called to confront darkness, not find some point in our life where we can rest and now insulate ourselves from it. Er, investing in earthly treasures is a bad investment. It will entice your flesh. It will, it will cause you to feel good, maybe for a bit, but it will not fully and deeply satisfy the human heart, which God said, I have put eternity in the heart of man. It won't last. It's a bad investment. And Piper makes a clarion call in that message that continues to scream out from the words of Scripture, don't waste your life there. And so the question we have to ask at that point is, is my life consumed with earthly treasures? We have to evaluate it honestly as the disciples of Christ. And so a few questions to examine your life. First, what earthly things seem to govern your life? What earthly things occupy your thoughts? What, what are you consumed with? What earthly things tug at your heart, your mind, and your emotions? What earthly things are you spending and sacrificing to get? What earthly things do you fear losing the most? What earthly things do you use to measure yourself and others? And then finally this, what earthly things do you think are essential for your happiness? Investing in earthly treasures is a bad investment. So let the truth of these questions cause you to see clearly the places where you've invested in earthly things just like the rest of us and let the conviction of God's spirit lead you and guide you. Instead, we want to treasure heaven and treasure eternity. And that leads us to our second word of wisdom. Quite simply this, invest in eternal things. Treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven I'm investing there, I'm thinking there, my, my, my mind and my life is positioned towards that end. Not reserved just for people who have chosen a life of ministry, but for all of us to think of our life as a ministry unto that end. That's what we're called to as the followers of Jesus Christ. That's one of the, the, the absence of that vision has been one of the most uh, deeply eroding forces in the American church. It's to get instead caught up with consumerism and capitalism and just try to uh, put a little a Jesus sign out front of our lives. 
Already in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus highlights what it looks like to invest in eternal treasures. In his encouragement for us to speak the truth or pursue purity, it's for the purpose of investing in eternal things, to love your enemies, to endure insults and persecutions, to live as salt and light, to to give and to pray and to fast, focus entirely on God, not man. That's a long view. That's a long view. It's treasuring heaven, it's treasuring eternity, it's a, and that is a safe and stable investment. For those of you who maybe think about investing or process through that as you've thought through your life, here's a good news alert. When your right actions flow from an authentic faith in Christ, when your greatest reward is more of Jesus, I want you to know on the authority of Scripture, you are walking towards an immeasurable eternal inheritance. Peter, so taken by this, this eternal heavenly inheritance, so, so, so deeply secured by, by the fact that it was the strongest and safest investment for his life, he wrote in 1 Peter 1.4 about this inheritance. He said, do you remember it? He said these words about this inheritance that it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's like, that's like a promise that no investment firm can even come close to. They care about your money. They don't care about you. The inheritance that Jesus offers, he says it is imperishable, it's not perishing, it is not going to waste away, it is not depreciating, and it's kept in heaven for you, it's guaranteed. Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul points towards the fact that, that when you put your faith in Christ and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the, that the move of the Holy Spirit to enter your life is a guarantee of your inheritance. What that means is, is that everything else can be taken from you. And you're going to arrive in eternity and you're going to be like, still guaranteed. No matter what was taken from me in this life, no matter what I had or didn't have, the reality is, is that reality of the Holy Spirit coming into my life, that is a guarantee of my inheritance. More than just being invited to be a citizen of heaven, more even than just being a, a, a welcomed and called sons and daughters of God, the, the Bible says that you are now an heir, an heir to the riches of Christ. And, and so then I want you to see that from this reality, Jesus then in verse 21, you got to see what he's saying here. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what he's communicating here is he's saying that whatever you treasure, there's a direct connect between your heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the seat of your emotions, your mind, your will, your inner workings right? The part that sometimes people see when you're having a bad day or a good day, but you know distinctly and God knows fully. It's that inner part of your heart. And what Jesus is saying here, he's out of this illustration, he's going like, there is a connection between what you treasure and your heart. And so here's the thing. If you want your heart to be unstable, attach your heart, treasure earthly treasures, It doesn't say have 
earthly treasures. It says treasure them, like invest in them, attach your heart to them. If your heart, though, is attached to heavenly treasures, there is for your heart stability. And so, like, I I want us to have a vision for what this looks like in our life, even at different seasons of life. Whatever, God's, whatever season of life God's brought you into our church and you're sitting here hearing this message, you're coming, you're, you're living, you're wanting to be faithful out of a season in your life. So let me just maybe a challenge some of us to, to position our hearts to be attached to eternal things. To the, to the students in the room, the uh, students in junior high or high school or college, you can choose to take hold of what the world wants to offer you and you can chase after the world and the world will never fail. It will never fail to offer you uh, temptation and pleasure and all sorts of things that you can buy and consume and be. But on the authority of this passage, let me just challenge you. There is something way greater you can do with your life if you choose to say, God, through the work of the gospel, I want to instead set an example to the believers in the way that I live my life. I wanna put Christ first in my life. I wanna live my life committed to Jesus Christ above all things, no matter what comes, no matter what comes. To our singles, I would ask you to consider is, your, is the focus of your life simply on, on, on dreaming about this sort of perfect American dream family with my, my spouse and my kids and my, my job and I'm, I'm just content and happy? Or, or, or are you considering what it looks like for your life to find your joy and contentment simply in Christ and his mission? And then deciding and looking to your right and left and see who's with you. Young marrieds, are you, are you trying to build up a nest egg of earthly or heavenly treasures for your future? If you're married with kids, are you, are you striving to train your kids to gain earthly achievements and living your life with that as the priority? Or are you modeling for them a life that prioritizes heavenly treasures? If you're married and you are in that season where your kids are out of the house, Are you doubling down on building for retirement or on earth or eternity in heaven? How are you spending your time? If you're retired, are you finishing strong with whatever energy you have in the days that you have remaining? Are you you spending it for Christ and his kingdom? Or are you shutting, shutting it down to work on your seashell collection? Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is pointing out here in verse 21 that the impact on your heart is immense. The impact on your heart is immense. It's not just joy in the next life, it's joy in this life. The fear and anxiety and depression comes from investing in the instability of earthly treasures. You, you might experience, in some situations, you will experience chasing after the things of the world, a temporary pleasure. And you'll be like, it's going good. It's going good, but anyone who's walked that path knows that in a moment, that's going to crash. Maybe even you could amass enough wealth and insulate yourself enough from the darkness 
that you could cruise right on to the end of this life, but I promise you that in eternity, you're gonna face a stark, steep drop. And, and what happens in this is when our, we put our investment in, in, in earthly things as opposed to eternal things, everything sort of feels unstable because it is. It is. It's not an illusion. The instability is real. Or we can invest in eternal things. And we can slowly and carefully, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year, carefully, patiently accumulate heavenly treasures that never diminish, that never fade, that never perish, that are secure. And the beauty of walking that way, not for moments, but for years and even decades, is that what you find is your heart is secure. And there's a fruit of that that doesn't just anticipate this life, but is waiting, hungering, longing even more for the next life. Hear the teaching of Jesus and make a move to live into the purpose that God has set within your heart. Invest in eternal things. Treasure heaven, treasure eternity. Then this final word of wisdom, check your vision. Check your vision. The passage concludes, and, and what Jesus does is he gives us this a sort of illustration about the eye and what it sees and, and what happens when it sees different things, and, and it says there in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what the eye is doing is it's shining forth what the reality is internally. So it says here really simply, when your eyes perceive light, it gives light to the whole body and then that's what's reflected in a way that people will see it. But if your eyes perceive darkness, is that, if that's what your eyes are set on, then it will give darkness to your whole body. And what Jesus is doing here is he's making a really, like, he's talking about a spiritual reality that is directly connected to a biological reality. Think about it. Biologically, we know, especially in West Michigan, we know sunlight is good for you. We know that exposure to sunlight helps with a brain function, hormone regulation, which impacts your emotions, muscle function, immunity, and many other benefits. And anyone who lives here, particularly, knows the difference between living with limited sunlight and frequent sunlight, amen? Like we get it. We feel the changes in our biology when we don't have exposure to the sunlight for long periods of time. Some of you are like, yes, February's my crabby month. <laughs> like, it's dark all the time. This week in my office, the sun was shining, and I just sat in the seat. I was like, sunshine. <laughs> Reverse my mood. It's real. There's a difference between your eyes seeing sun all the time or only seeing darkness. It's biological and it's spiritual. Check your vision. Check your vision. Are your eyes being exposed to the light of the world? Are the eyes of your soul and your heart like reveling in the light of the revelation of Christ? Are your eyes seeing the, the, the realities of the gospel in and around your life and are you making connections of your life to those things and is it stirring up your heart with affection for Jesus Christ? Are you seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? 
Are your eyes exposed to that light? If your eyes are filled with the light of Christ, you'll have one focus and one aim, and that's to serve God alone. It will become the compelling center of your life. It's what Jesus was teaching in verse 24, and he uses this illustration of money. He says, he's saying here, if you try to split your focus, it will give you double vision. And if you ever had double vision, like one time I had a pair of glasses that I put on, and it gave me double vision, and it gave me a headache, and everything was blurry. And if you attempt to look through and onto your life, caring for God and anything else, Jesus is illustrating money here. You will have double vision and your life and perspective will be blurry and it'll give you a headache. Lots of headaches in a lot of different areas. See, what he's saying here about money is he's simply saying, if you, you can either love God and then through loving God, one primary lens, you can master the reality of how I should handle money or what you're going to do is you're going to love money as your primary lens and then you're going to strive to master God. Yeesh. I think I'm going to go with the former, not the latter. Jesus is emphasizing one of the clearest discipleship principles. You cannot serve God in anything else. With your money, with your time, with your entire life, with the spiritual gifts God's given you, you must check your vision. At times, we just got to take a vision test, right? What is more clear? Maybe it looks like this right now for you. And earth is clear and you know exactly what you want from the earth and from this temporal world, and your eyes are focused on that, and that is crystal clear. But eternity's like, I just, it's just blurry. Through the work of the gospel, through the work of God's word, through the work of, of hearing the word, through the power of the spirit, what, what happens in sanctification is your vision changes and it starts to look like this. And in this, now earth starts to get blurry and eternity starts to become more and more clear. And as I, as, I, as I thought about this, I went, you know what? In the kingdom of God, we are a far-sighted people, not a nearsighted. We are a far-sighted people. In this reality, if, if you're ever around an older saint who's followed Jesus with great passion, we have some of them in our church and I love them. And I just want to hear them talk about their love for Jesus because they really don't know how many days they have remaining. But oh man, they don't seem to care. Because for, the, for, for their, their vision, earth is becoming blurry and they don't have any attachment to it. But eternity is growing more and more clear. It's so encouraging to be around. And, uh, and so in the kingdom of God, we're farsighted people, not nearsighted. Now what Jesus does here is he mentions God and money. And I, I want to unpack this a bit because it gives us a picture of what can happen when we have our eyes set on eternity and when earth is blurry, what can start to happen, particularly in the subject of money, is God can start to lead you to actually take earthly treasures and use them for eternal purposes. 
This is when you really start to understand the work of the gospel. It's not just that I know that earthly treasures, I shouldn't invest in them, and I should invest in eternal things. It's when you start to see, you start to turn, actually, the enemy on his head, and you're like, really? You want to tempt me with earthly treasures? You know what I'm going to do with earthly treasures? I'm going to use them for eternal things. Gotcha. You know? It's like you have this little, like, posture. I think we should have it sometimes, like the confidence of the gospel. And over time in church, particularly around the subject of money, which is a big subject God talks about all the time in his word. Because I think it's something that we can so easily treasure and find our heart attached to. But over time in the church, I have encountered so many people with a vision for using earthly treasures to invest in eternity and they have deeply challenged me. I'll never forget a family in Chicago who um, they had a home and, and they regularly loved to have just ministry in their house and they would invite people into their home and, and they had a beautiful home and then they went and they were like gonna buy a bigger home with a beautiful pool in the back and I remember asking them like, why, why, you don't need a bigger home? And he looked at me and he goes, everything God has given us, we wanna leverage to the greatest extent for the kingdom of God. And he shared with me, because we were good friends, and he shared with me, he said, he said, every single weekend in the summer, my backyard and my downstairs is open to ministries. And literally every weekend in the summer was open. They had ministry events in and people gathering there and they hosted different parties to encourage uh, leaders and, and, and that were serving in the context of the church. I mean, it's just an awesome thing. One guy sat down with me and that, that, I, that I knew when I was serving in Chicago also, and he said, listen, I want you to know that, um, that my business um, has been incredibly profitable, and my, what I feel like my calling is is to grow my business, to grow the capacity of what I can give to the kingdom of God. And he literally said, we, my wife and I have established a budget down here. And as God increases our income, we are not moving the quality of our life. And anything that we gain, we're just giving to the kingdom of God. Just leveraging for kingdom purposes. And I was like, man, that's so awesome. I'll never forget after a teaching on tithing, when I was talking about the first fruits and this biblical principle of 10% of my income, first fruits being given to the local church, and I had a guy come up to me and say, listen, you are not challenging some people in the crowd enough. He says, because for some people, 10% isn't even reasonable generosity. He said, that's a starting point, a principle. And I was like, well, you can preach the message next time. And, um, and there's people who, who love ministry in our church who have scholarshiped people for different things, different camp opportunities, different counseling realities. I know people who have changed their jobs to make less money so they can give more of themselves to ministry. Man. All these illustrations are pictures, church, of what happens when earth grows blurry and eternity grows sharp in our vision. Check your vision as a disciple of Jesus Christ. One of the realities of, um, of childhood, parents know this for sure. Um, one of the realities of, of, of childhood and the immaturity that comes with young children is they have an inability to see five minutes into the future. How many of you, some of your parents are like, oh, I had a moment this morning that for sure that's what was going on. Like, it's so big. 
This is so big. And even in our lives as adults, there's times when we can't right-size something and we can't see beyond the immediate reality of what's right in front of us. One of the realities of God setting eternity into the heart of man is that in our lives as image bearers of God, we have the ability that as the gospel works, as the truth of God is known to us, as our hearts are changed by the work of God's spirit, we have the ability and the desire and the affirmation from God to look further and further into the future and for that future to be more clear to us over time. This is one of the beautiful realities of sanctification, of the way God changes us into his image. All for one purpose, because in the kingdom of God, in kingdom culture, we are not nearsighted, but farsighted. Avoid the bad investment of earthly treasures. Invest in eternal things. Check your vision. Treasure heaven. Treasure eternity. Let's pray together. God, I... Um, I distinctly feel the reality of what you've been doing in this message in my own heart and life. And God, I just want to pause for a moment um, as I want to lead our people well. And I just want to create space for you to give vision where there hasn't been vision. Father, I believe that in the supernatural work of your spirit, that in a moment you could change someone's vision. In a moment, there could be attachments that are released and direction that could change. Because God, we are all products. We feel the weight and the temptation of our culture. The racing and the wanting and the lusting and the desiring Again and again, our culture will feed this and feed this and feed this to the destruction of our soul and for the victory of the enemy. So I declare over our church, I declare over the lives here that are listening to this message that you would bring a reviving, that you would bring a change of perspective, that you would, that you would literally change our vision from, from blurry on eternity to, to, to clarity on eternity that the edges would become sharper, that the implications of that would be known. I pray that you might give some a vision for the way they're gonna live their life, whatever life they have remaining, in a way that cherishes the realities of the kingdom of God and the gospel, that is longing and desiring to promote Jesus Christ from their life and to the people around them. I pray, God, you might awaken something in us that would endure when the battle is difficult and release quickly the things we might chase after that our hearts might grow attached to. I pray, God, that we might even begin into, in the spiritual realm, the, the chains of attachment to earthly treasures would just break and fall. Instead, that we would link ourselves to eternal treasures and that we'd invest our lives there. Help us to check our vision. Help us to check our vision. Help us to live rightly, God, before you. 
seeing the goodness of earthly treasures to even be used for gospel purposes. Redeem us, God, from this world. Change our vision. Give us an encouragement in that and a call to that. Pray, God, as a church, we'd be walking in this, remembering it, considering it, not just for today, but that it would shape our future, that would be so much more clear because we want, God, not to be a nearsighted people, but a farsighted people. We pray and ask that you would do the work for your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.